Bearcat Bounce Podcast, back at it again. Brent Young, Aaron Smith. I'm sure our father is hanging around a little bit here and there for a little hop in when uh, when he forever chooses and pleases. But we have a lot to unravel yet again, Aaron, as there was another UC win, big Bearcat win, one that has everyone talking for better or for worse. But overall, it is still a great day to be a Bearcat. How are we, Aaron? Doing well, doing well, uh, especially seeing, you know, another win. Unfortunately, didn't mean any movement whatsoever in the top 25. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it's it's another win. You got to win the games that you have in front of you. We will break that down, obviously. The top 25 is something that has always boggled my mind because it, it truly is a bias. Take it for whichever way it is. It truly is AP voters, which, uh, you know, God bless the AP. I know how hard it is to be a journalist and everything. But a lot of them don't truly get to see every team in the country play, obviously, week in and week out. So these polls are not that – I mean, you saw in the basketball poll, the you had Feinstein literally bow down and he is no longer an AP poll voter because Houston came at him with, with pitchforks and torches. So <laughs> we'll, we'll break that down a little bit later. But first, we need to unravel this – 55 to 17 redemption tour continuation of the Eastern Carolina, East Carolina. I'm sure someone might hate me for saying Eastern East Carolina pirates, Aaron, we're going to go every quarter like we always do, but just general observation, the entire game, taking a step back. We made Holden Ehlers look less than average. We, (laughs) We made him look terrible. And it was a fantastic thing to see. It was actually like, I feel like almost all year long, we've seen this defense kind of shut down the run game, shut down right. the run game, shut down the run game, make a team one dimensional. Well, they did yep. that again this, they did that again this week, but instead of it being the run game for the, like, not necessarily the first time, but I mean, we held a quarterback to under hundred yards who generally has, you know, anywhere between three and 500 yards, somewhere around 40 to 50 passes. Mm-hmm. And we made him look, Terrible. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hope. I, I mean, Holt Naylor's. You're talking about a a quarterback that set a school record against Cincinnati last year. Um, uh, we've already talked, you know, touched on that a couple times on the podcast. That was that was a crazy game within itself for numerous reasons. The fireworks show, the the up and down shootout on both sides, the the saucy pick six in the fourth quarter. You know. You're talking about that crazy game. This one might have been even crazier for a whole bunch of different reasons, but let's dive into that first quarter first and foremost. And honestly, through the first quarter, it kind of I, – I took a step back and I kind of felt like this East Carolina team is going to give Cincinnati all they can handle because they came out and they played pretty solid. Of course, you know, defensively, Bearcats get a, get a quick stop. They force a punt and then – of course, it's a great drive put on by the Bearcats in their opening offensive possession. And I just want to talk about Desmond Ritter. You know, we're going to wrap him all up towards the end of the show. But, I mean, Desmond Ritter is eking and inching towards a bona fide NFL caliber quarterback in my eyes. And I've tried to stand up on this mountain. I'm going to continue to stand up there. Today were some of the – pardon me, on Friday was, were some of his best throws – I have seen in his entire career with the Bearcats. 
And one of those includes the 33-yard touchdown pass to Michael Young on this drive that was set up with a couple of big third-down conversions, a couple of, of runs as well by Desmond Ritter, as he's been known to do from here and there, picking up yardage with, in numerous ways that a lot of other quarterbacks can't. But this pass to Michael Young, who had a long developing corner route that needed a lot of pass protection, the line picks up two blitzers, and then it's a Desmond Ritter pass to Michael Young where a couple weeks ago, you know, maybe a month and a half ago, it could be a ball that's overthrown, underthrown, but this time it's right there for Young to catch it and walk into the end zone. You know, you bring up the overthrows, and he did overthrow the tight end Taylor on that yes. same drive, yep. um, who was wide open. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, so he's still a little erratic on some of those deep throws. And, yes. you know, um, I like to see him actually nailing some of those throws down because as we touched on numerous times early in the season, he was missing those, all of those throws. There wasn't yes. really any of them that he was connecting on. Right. Um, he's connecting roughly, I think, somewhere around like a 50% clip at this point, if not a little bit better on the deep ball. Um, I want to say it was something like 54%. I thought the telecast maybe mentioned. Um, I could be way off, so don't hold me to that. But uh, – <laughs> But no, he, uh, it's, you know, he's, he's doing more than just the intermediate stuff. He's not afraid to go back out there. He seems to have gotten some confidence in the deep, in the deep ball, even as he's still missing some of these throws. So, right. and, and again, he's not just focusing on just throwing the ball. He continues to open the pass game up with his legs as he's done pretty much since SMU. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been a thing of beauty. You know, and, and you, you mentioned that overthrow to Leonard Taylor in the press box, I was sitting next to an Indianapolis Colts scout. And once the overthrow to Lenny Taylor happened, I saw the scout go down and type down in his notes real quick. So I, you know, I'm sure that's probably one nitpick thing. Like you said, that a lot of people probably break down his game. That is, it's just that touch on those throws. Because if he if he takes a little bit off that and just leads Leonard Taylor, I feel like we've said that a hundred times. Taylor was was going to catch that and, and trundle his way for an extra 15, 20 yards if he breaks a tackle, maybe even a touchdown. So, yes, definitely something he needs to touch on and figure out in his game. But as the game progressed, we saw a couple of really good deep balls from Dez. But the, the next drive for ECU, of course, they pick up a couple of first downs, which then kind of brings you to think back to what Luke Fickle said and his presser during the week about – you know, this East Carolina team is a lot like Tulsa last year, where their record is not indicative of how good of a team they are. You know, Aaron, you've done around the AAC and the AAC re- Rewind quite a lot every week. And this, he's true. This this East Carolina team probably should have beaten Tulsa at Tulsa. They they played UCF solid for about a half. I I mean, this is a team that, yes, they, they obviously have some big-time shortcomings, but it's still a team that looks pretty solid. But this was a game that started the senior night, senior moments. I'm going to touch on all the senior moments of it a little bit later. But Darrell White comes up with a big sack on, on a third down, forces a punt. And then the Bearcats get the ball back. Not well, too I'm, much before, going on. The, before yeah, you get off ahead. that drive, I think yes. the almost as big a play as the sack was Majay Sanders getting back there and knocking the ball down yes. and just kind of showing, showing out again as he has week after week after week. And it's, you know, some of those things that I don't know if that counted as a pass deflection, if that goes on the stat line as a pass deflection or not. Um, but, you know, he was just there as an animal at the line, as he always has all year. Yeah. And, uh, he is a player that is slowly becoming a bona fide NFL 
draft pick for this upcoming draft. You know, I know this was senior night for the Bearcats, but it kind of felt like, hey, you know, if my Jay continues the way he's playing, it might be his final game in Nippert as well. That's something to watch on as as things continue. And obviously, if they if they host the conference tournament championship, then it's going to be back at Nippert. So I, I always kind of pause a little bit before saying the final game in Nippert. But my Jay Sanders is trending in the absolute right direction. Jordan Jones. Yeah, you know, it was good to see him get back there. Yes. Yeah, I, I, that was another one uh, on the previous drive. He had a big catch and run on a first down and continued to show out on the, the drive thereafter that you're about to get into. Aaron, talk about this dime. I mean, that was a pass to Jordan Jones. First of all, a big, he, he was a player his first season in the SEC, was a freshman, all, all freshman team in the SEC, was a fantastic player, had big time plays, had some coaching changes down at, in Arkansas that kind of changed that. But we saw a big play out of Jordan Jones where he was kind of covered. He was blanketed pretty well. Dez put it right on the money to Jordan Jones for 36 yards. And I think that was one of the best throws and the best catches on a deep ball that we've seen so far this year. It was encouraging to see kind of a play that like we'd normally see run to Josh Wiley when mm -hmm. they're at the goal line. Um, but instead, it kind of went to another receiver. Uh, we didn't see as much from Josh Wiley tonight, but we did see quite a bit out of Jordan Jones, including this 36-yard pass. And then, of course, that drive ends with one big bugaboo, Aaron. Probably, yeah, probably the, the biggest bugaboo of the game, and that was the, the fumbled handoff exchange between Jared Dokes and Desmond Ritter. They normally have that down, like, like in their sleep type thing, but – this was one that kind of it looked like maybe Dez was thinking Dokes was going to take it. Dokes had a thought in his head that Dez is going to keep it because Dez two plays earlier had a 26 yard carry where he simply just found a crease and, and does what he does. So maybe mm -hmm. in, in Dokes' mind, he's thinking, okay, Dez is keeping this one. Instead, it's a fumble. ECU recovers. Yeah, that was a little disheartening. And, you know, I could have maybe changed a little bit of momentum there early in the game. Um, but instead, you know, it, it does lead to um, you know, what would later become a, an ECU score. Um, but, you know, just with the momentum going towards ECU's way at that point, as Cincinnati had an opportunity to just really kind of pound the ball yeah. right down their throats. Would have been 14 nothing, but it still ended up being 14 nothing because one of the, I would say, most un, the, the least respected players in the entire country. I mean, you're talking about this, this, defense of the Bearcats, the Black Cats, are simply one of the best defenses in the country. Jarrell White is arguably the best player stat-wise and best player tackle, obviously the leading tackler, all over the field throughout the game. He finally had his big-time senior moment in this one where he bust through, got himself drifting back in coverage, a pick six for Jarrell White, got, got the throw up in the air of the ball afterwards, a little celebration penalty. Luke said that he didn't like it. I think he's lying. I think he's okay with that penalty. <laughs> and I think that Jarrell White deserves every single bit of recognition that he gets, especially with this big-time play. And, I mean, it was just senior moments like this all throughout the night. It's going to be a trend, and we'll break all those down here in a bit. But that big-time pick six was huge to bring the momentum back on the Bearcats' side. Yeah, and his, uh, his dunk afterwards on their, uh, their little hoop, it left a little bit to be desired. I, I've, I've seen better 
So Jarrell Wayne needs to work on his uh, on his alley oops there. You know, and, and the funny thing is, a lot of people like to bring up. I I I'm trying to remember who it is. It's either it might be Pitt who who brought out the the dunk the turnover dunk thing, and and some Pitt fans tried to say, oh, we Cincinnati's copying us. No, that that is something that has been around for so long. But I agree. You know, Darrell kind of do a little alley oop to himself, I believe, what it was, and and tried to throw it down. I. I, I think know. he tried to windmill. I don't know. It was, it was, it just could have been better. It wasn't as clean as some of them have been. Maybe right. it's because he's a little shorter than some of the other guys, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, got to feel good at dunk in real life, but that's a different story for a different time. But after that, the, the second quarter was kind of where you saw the, the ability for the Cincinnati team to try and separate itself. And then a the big injury really happened. And that was, Elijah Ponder went down and Ponder is, is one of those players, you know, we we've had Marcus Freeman on the BCJ pod, you know, Luke Fickle, I mentioned him numerous times. You talk to anyone about Elijah Ponder and they just talk about the epitome of a player that plays above his God-given ability. And that's what they, they preach in that defensive room. That's what they try and bring out of everyone. Elijah Ponder is a player, not very highly, you know, rated coming out of high school you, you pile on the, on top of that. He's not, you know, the biggest, most athletic guy, but he's someone that is going to do his job on every play and perform above his God-given ability. And you take him away. And on the first drive, really, that he was out, not available with the injury, you saw Keaton Mitchell, 14 yards off the left side, where Ponder would have been. Holton Naylor's pass to Keaton Mitchell on a wheel route where he had some time to let the play develop and find Mitchell off the left side, and then 18 yards off the left side again by Keaton Mitchell, where Elijah Ponder would have been. That's when you kind of think, okay, is, is the loss of Ponder going to be something that will be very difficult for the Black Cats to overcome? We were definitely gashed on, there, on that entire drive by Mitchell. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and one of the things I wanted to bring up as you talk about Ponder being out is last week you had talked about not really missing a step when Malik Van comes in. Yeah. And now, gr- granted, Malik Van did come in, and I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah. You got to actually see against first-teamers as opposed to second string being out there and the game kind of being over in garbage time and all of that. Um, but you got to see Van in there with the first stringers. And, you know, he did get the sack in the game. Um, but, you know, you definitely saw, as far as the run game goes, there was, there was certainly a leak. And that was, that was also a situation where ECU had just punted and, and pinned Cincinnati at their own three. And mm-hmm. then Cincinnati goes with the, the Wildcat on their own, you know, what was it, four-yard line. Uh, you know, kind of just seemed like a very cautious approach, trying not to make too big of a mistake coming out of there. And then they punt it. And then so it was great field position to start off with, but ECU really gashed the Bearcats, like you said. And that was when Malik Van was trying to figure out what it's like on that side, because of course he's been rotating in with my Jay Sanders on the weak side. Now you're bringing him in on that, on the strong side. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see if against UCF, if Ponder will not be available, which, you know, above our pay grade yet again, it seems like that could possibly be the case. You're going to need Malik Van to quickly realize, Hey, I need to own this position, really take a huge step forward here and continue the high high level play because on that drive that made it 14 to seven, and kind of struck a little bit of fear in the fan base and kind of made you realize, okay, well, gosh, this team is actually not bad. It's a team we got to be careful about. And then after that, it kind of all came back into the senses with 
with a big-time response by the Bearcats. They drove it six plays just as quickly as that touchdown drive that ECU just had, and it just seemed like they were on fire. You know, Jayshon Jackson, a 20-yard reception, another 11-yard reception from Dez, and then Jerome Ford finished it off 24 yards. You know, it just seemed like that is the ability that the Cincinnati team has is, you know, we talked about it where if your defense, hold, you know, lets up a little bit, well, the offense has your back. Don't worry. We got your back. If, if special teams makes a mistake, defense says, hey, don't worry. We've got your back. We've got your back. So right here, this was just a, a, a tip of the cap knowing, hey, I know you guys gave up that quick score. We've got your back. We're going to go back out there. And we're going to score real quickly in a hurry. Now, what did you think about the targeting call that came uh, prior to that drive, though? You know, I <laughs> that was going to be one thing that I broke down because obviously we're going to touch into the to the big time plays that the Bearcats made. That if you are on one side of the fence, you're going to feel a very negative way towards it. If you're on the other side of the fence, you're going to feel a very positive way towards it. But I thought that ECU was headhunting the entire game. I I, 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 I think they were they were literally looking. I it looked like their tackles were all lunges. I mean, you saw in the opening drive. It was a scramble by Dez. He gets rocked. Mm-hmm. Helmet to helmet. No call. And then and, and then a couple of plays later, Trey Tucker gets rocked again. It looked like, you know, a crown of the helmet type tackle. No call. Sidelines and coaches are going crazy asking for something. So I think this was just a situation where, hey, yes, he was falling down. One of those situations where, okay, you're not expecting his head to be that level. But still, Bivens for ECU was legitimately diving straight, just torpedoing yeah. through. Yeah. I thought it was a great call. I, I agree with it. Set it up the easy drive and, uh, you know, kind of kind of really set the table for how these two teams are going to be pretty chippy the rest of the way. Well, and then you had right after that, the drive where we scored, you had the very strange play, which was Cole Smith getting 15 of 20 penalty yards on one play. <laughs> Like, we're just stacking them up here. That that was weird, but also like one of those where, you know, if a it's not often gonna, you see, I was gonna say it's not often you see a kicker get a penalty at all. He, he threw him down. I, I, I mean, like, less. let him do it. I, I I mean, come on, it's, it's not often you get a chance to do that. And and I also thought it's funny because I thought they were gonna call a face mask. Yeah. But but I think you could clearly see that he didn't grab his face mask. He just you know, threw him down really awkwardly. So then you're going to say, okay, well, he was out of bounds. So we've got to say unsportsmanlike conduct, which, I mean, if I'm the ref, I'm saying, okay, I, I mean, that's that's well, a kicker well right there. <laughs> right. He just threw him down. You got to be able to avoid that. <laughs> if you would have ever told me that one of the Smith kickers was going to get a, a penalty <laughs> right. of, this, of this nature, it wouldn't it have been James. Cole. It would have yeah. been, absolutely, it would have been James. Yes. but 100% would have been James. But – but I don't know. Cole's got a little. Cole's got a little, you know, streak to him. I feel. You know, we don't we don't see as much of him. But I think, I think this was a it was a nice takedown. But but that obviously set them up in good field position yet again. And you know, you're talking on the Cincinnati 44. But the defense does what they normally do. They strengthened up when they got closer to the goal line. Forced a field goal, 32 yards, which is good. And then one of the weirder plays of the game, Aaron. They. With the score 21 to 10 and momentum kind of in the middle, neither side truly had full momentum. You go with an onside kick attempt. Mm -hmm. And I understand you're trying to surprise people, but if you look at that, that kickoff, 
there was the kicker in the middle. I, I believe two players on one player on each side of the kicker. And then on like way near the sidelines are were four players bunched up with each other. It was strange. So, it, so it immediately strange. you're like, okay, this is a weird formation. Something strange is going to happen. And, and, you know, you really got to give a lot of credit to Brian cook on that, that onside kick attempt, because if you have someone who is a little scared or a little, a little cautious at trying to go get that ball, that could have been recovered possibly by ECU. I'm, you know, they did get an offsize penalty, but mm-hmm. still, it would have been a, a a tough decision for any player in that situation to decide to go above the ten yard mark and take a stab at the ball when you have a good chance. And then he got rocked when he yep. dove in and, and, and took that ball. Another and Brian Cook came out. Another targeting call. Yeah, I mean, so a very strange play, and it was almost like a turnover. It was like they just – they literally just got a field goal. There was five minutes left in the first half, and it's like they turned the ball over after points. And Cincinnati immediately took advantage with, I'm going to say, the best pass that Dez has, has had all year on that strike to Trey Tucker that he took into the end zone. Now, didn't you say just a couple minutes ago Jordan Jones was his best pass all year? Best, best deep ball. Best deep ball. This gotcha. is a deep ball. This is a deep ball, but this was a laser. It was this pretty. Was a, if, if, if you rewatch it, he didn't put much air underneath it. This was one of those passes where, where if, if it was one that he had to lead somebody, you'd say, ooh, we want a little more air under it. But he well, found Tucker going outside, and he, he rifled that one in there. And this is exactly like I was saying last week, where once a game, Trey Tucker just does something where you're just sitting there like, wow, like you yep. are capable of this. You know, and, yep. and once a game, it's just – he does something different every week where it's just like, wow, that is not something people should be able to do. And yeah. here, yet here he is doing it. And, and, you know, Aaron, and then he broke out Chad and your favorite dance, the gritty. The gritty <laughs> came out yet again. And he, he performed it quite to a T. looked spectacular, better than you and Chad put together. But I'm still waiting to see the video of you guys. And uh, we'll, we'll be the judges after that. But then quickly – you see another senior making a senior moment with James Wiggins, a freak. He made, he made things a little freaky on his interception. It was good to see him back too, especially after the uh, injury last week. Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to be back or not. And uh, you know, he definitely made his presence known with this interception. I, I mean, that was one where he fully extended another one where he broke off his man in coverage went back to intercept it. It, it. it honestly was a bad pass uh, as well. I believe Derek Forrest could have probably had the chance to intercept it as well. It looked like he was above undercutting the route as well. But so, you know, James Wiggins, really good to see him back with another interception, his first since that 2018 season. So, you know, it seems like everything's starting to come together. And then the, the offense wastes no time. Desmond Ritter gets his, what was it, ninth rushing touchdown in the past 14 quarters. I mean, this is a stat that some running backs would love for an entire season, maybe even a career, is to find the end zone nine times. And that is nine rushing touchdowns in the last 14 quarters heading into halftime when he ran it in from seven yards out. And this is why we were yelling about wanting to see Ritter on his legs at the beginning of the season. We hadn't seen it through at least three games. And now all of a sudden you're seeing the difference between a mobile Ritter and who's capable of taking off at any given moment, breaking through some of those would be sacks and, right. you know, 
making those big, big chunk plays on his feet. You know, and, and I want to hear your opinion on this. It seemed like on some of the, the RPOs, you know, some of the option reads, it seemed as if Dez handed it off more times than keeping it, especially on the one where they were set up inside their own five after ECU pinned Cincinnati on the three. It reminded me of the SMU game when Dez kept it and ran for 91 yards for the score. It looked like there were some massive holes available if Dez fakes the give and keeps it. Do you think this is a situation where Den Brock is calling a handoff and it's just looking like the RPO variety? Or do you think it's one where Dez is kind of just really waiting to pick his choices? I mean, I've never been on the field in a quarterback's mindset. You know what right. I mean? Like when I played in high school, it was, it was tight end and it was safety and it was way, way, way deep on the <laughs> freshman team. <laughs> okay. And that was the first and last year of high school football. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I don't know, man, it's, it's different seeing it in real time. And I mean, it's, I can't, I can't say that Ritter's not seeing the field well because we're seeing him throw up huge stat lines over the past few weeks. Yeah. So whatever he's seeing down there, I mean, I'm still going to give him credit for what, what is happening on the field right now. Definitely. As we continue to pile up points, we continue to pile up scores and we continue to pile up big chunk plays. And, mm -hmm. you know, Ritter had over 300 yards this game in the yeah. air and he was not a slouch on his feet either as you know, he, he piled up more numbers there this week doing just that. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to nitpick too much on right. whether he's handing it off enough or whether he's running it enough just because we're still doing what needs to be done to complete the drives more often than not. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, you know, it, it does seem like they do set it up like that where sometimes the handoff is the pick no matter what. And then they set it up and say, okay, this one will be that run pass option. And you're, you know, that, that give or keep option. And it normally breaks it off for a big one, but the third quarter comes not too much excitement. Well, I'm, I'm, oh, good, good. I was just going to say before, before we go any further, I did want to go back to the, the Dokes Ritter fumble. As you talk about that yes. is I feel like Ritter and Dokes are seeing the field very much the same way right. more often than not, but clearly they saw the field differently on that particular play. Yeah. So, you know, kind of to your point, maybe, Maybe, you know, they were seeing it differently the way that you are, but, you know, I don't know. It's yeah, just, I, uh, it was just interesting kind of that handoff. It Still. was, it was, it was, it was on his hip the whole time. I don't know, but it, they, they rectified themselves pretty quickly with, with the uh, response that they had, you yeah. know, it, you know, it, it just shows you what this team can do. You know, you, you let a team creep back in at 14 to seven and instantly before you know it, it's 35 to 10 at halftime, all done in the second quarter. So, you know, just a, a resilient comeback from one of the best teams in the country, no doubt in my mind. And it carried into the third quarter where the offense didn't get too much going, but the defense had a couple of great sacks. First was Ethan Tucky on a third down. And then as we talked about earlier was, was the sack by Malik Van, where he just completely bulldozed his man to get to Holton Aylers for the sack on a third down, forcing another punt. And then the Cincinnati got the ball back with six minutes left on the clock in the third. And I, I mentioned it a couple of times, Aaron, every single game this year, the Bearcats have produced points in the third quarter. And I think that that is crucial coming out mm -hmm. of halftime because 
if you want to put a team away, you got to score in the third quarter. Or if you want to kind of continue to position yourself for a chance to win, you've got to be able to score in the third quarter. And on this 11-play drive that went 85 yards, a, a penalty during it, Desmond Ritter was on fire. He, he literally was putting balls places where I didn't think he had the ability to. And he, he really orchestrated a fantastic <laughs> drive. He really did. There's no way for me to put it. He, he did. And, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where he, he kind of looked like he was in the zone and yeah. I would probably feel like I was in the zone too, <laughs> after having a 35 point first half, right. you know what I mean? Like it, you, you kind of, you hear basketball players talk about the hoop looks, you know, forever yeah. big when you start to feel like you're in that zone. Huh? And I, I would think that the same would be in football where you're throwing dimes just because you feel like you can throw them. Yeah. And, and the craziest thing is, when they set up like plays for passes on the outside or, or, or passes on the inside where, you know, the, the inside receiver does a quick slant the outside receiver does a quick slant as well. And Des is throwing to the outside receiver on those just literally these are 30 yard passes that go 11 yards as it's all said and complete. But in the end, he he's able to find Jackson in the end zone. Jay shot Jackson, a good bounce back game after a couple of drops last week. And he got into the end zone for the first time since 2018 against ECU. So hat tip to him. But I, go I was going to say, I wonder if Ritter and Jay Sean had a conversation on this drive right. that they wanted to get uh, Jackson to score because yeah. he targeted him like four times or something <laughs> like that on this particular drive. It was wild. And and, and Josh Wiley had a, had a catch, a, a little diving catch that was, Beautiful. It won't get talked about that much, but one of those catches that you see NFL caliber tight ends make. So, you know, Wiley, of course, we've, we've gushed about him on the pod a few times. He is spectacular. But he, as you mentioned, Jay Sean Jackson getting to the end zone, Dez was targeting him. But here's a crazy stat, Aaron. After this, they go up 42 to 10. And Desmond Ritter does not attempt another pass for the rest of the game. They, they score in the third quarter for the seventh consecutive game. or and, and then, of course, they are all of a sudden Desmond Ritter, no pass attempts in the fourth quarter. Guess how many, and I, I tweeted this a couple times, so I'm sure you already know the answer, but guess how many passes in the last four games, how many fourth quarter pass attempts that Desmond Ritter has had in the last four games? I haven't actually seen that tweet in my feed. Um, so I, I don't I'm going to guess what, maybe probably less than five. Four. He has attempted four total passes in the fourth quarter of the last four games. That's wild. That, that doesn't even his, make sense. Here's his stat line, Aaron. 886 passing yards, 398 rushing yards, eight passing touchdowns, nine rushing touchdowns. The last FBS player to reach all those numbers over a four-game span was Lamar Jackson during his 2016 Heisman season. He's pretty good. He's not terrible. <laughs> I think he won like like a most valuable player in some big league or something as well. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a stat line without fourth quarter stats for the most part in the last four games is what Desmond Ritter has been able to do. I It's just, it's been outstanding, simply outstanding. Yeah, I, and I was actually in my group message with my friends as we're watching the game. You know, 
I didn't think we were going to see any of Desmond Ritter in the fourth quarter, certainly not in the fourth quarter, yeah. especially when you start the second half up 35 to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was curious to see where the style points would end up coming from because they, they <laughs> definitely came as we'll get to. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I wasn't surprised. And I'm not surprised that as they continue to win, you know, you have a big game against UCF next week. You don't want to risk getting Desmond Ritter injured on some fluky play like we saw today with the Bengals and, and, uh, and my quarterback, Joe Burrow, getting pushed into a bench. You know, just a weird thing where you see yeah. somebody kind of get, you know, gimped up a little bit on something like that. So, you know, that's the last thing you want to see for Desmond Ritter. So, uh, no, I, I wasn't surprised at all just to no, see and, him kind of go into game management mode. And, and he, you know, Luke has mentioned it numerous times to the media about how important it is having a quarterback with confidence playing at a high level because they set the tone for the entire team. And, and when you saw Desmond Ritter with big smile on his face at all times and, and just simply looked composed and confident and that was infectious. And yet again, he heads to the bench, but not before this long drive by ECU gets them into the red zone. And again, this defense is, is predicated on fantastic red zone defense Kobe Bryant has his senior senior moment with an interception, ending that drive. And then Aaron, Ben Bryant comes on the field. And first off, he throws an absolute strike to Trey Tucker for 30 yards. That was right on the money. Gets called back for a holding, I believe. And so I think you're right. Play negated. But that drive stalls. And then comes the first of style points with a play that had been practiced on the special teams for three years is what Chad and Justin Williams of the athletic were talking about back and forth was that three years in the making this punt, this big punt was. And when when the bear, go ahead, Chad. (laughs) I mean, it's been, it's been in since they got here. Four years in the making. Let me, let me explain something to to the people. I've talked about this a lot on, on Twitter. Um, I've touched on it a little bit on the board. This is not a play that is called. They would yeah. never go to the line of scrimmage running this play. Right. That's, that's not how it works. Right. So the point of the play is if a team overloads one side of the line of scrimmage, which is something you don't know until you're at the line of scrimmage ready right. to run the play. Right. So ECU had seven guys – to the left of the center if you're looking at Cincinnati's side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Why is left important? James Smith is left-footed. So they are overloading the side that James Smith kicks to, especially with a lot of these the Aussie rules guys. Mm-hmm. They take a step or two towards their, their kicking foot. Right. So they are overloading a punt block to come at James Smith. And they've already been headhunting. They've already been headhunting. They've had two guys kicked out for targeting. Two more probably should have been. Um, what's what is what is Joel DeBlanco's uh, position title in that formation? <coughs> protector. Personal protector. It is his job to protect James Smith. Yes. If they are running six guys and you only have four there to block them, it is Joel DeBlanco's job to call the audible, to Mm -hmm. check into that play, 
and to run it to the right side where yep. it was five Bearcats on three uh, pirates. 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 Arr, arg. It's exactly what they are taught to do. Now, yep. <laughs> is it maybe not a situation you, you want to do it in? Of course not. But, yep. <laughs> excuse me, if you don't want to have it, have it happen to you, you come out in punt safe. And you just fair catch the punt, and you get the football, right? Problem solved. Stop it. Stop it. If you don't want it to happen, then stop it. No, and, and no, you're right, Chad. You're right, Chad. Because the last thing you want to have happen there is You're not one stopping it, by the way. What? You're not stopping it, by the way. No, no, no. Not one By bit. nature, you can't stop that play in the, in the formation that ECU was in. Oh. Unless no, you so. have one guy just completely run right past the block. And right, yeah, but right. but I'm saying you have to call that because, like you said, if one ECU player comes loose and and does happen to take a little bit more than just the ball off of James Smith's leg, and all of a sudden the worst possible situation happens, you're looking at all of a sudden a 42 to 10 lead turns into one of the best punters in the entire world going down with an injury. So it's it's huge. I, I love the play call. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people are just saying, oh, Luke Fickle running a fake punt up 42 to 10. That's, well, that is Bush League. And I have a counter to that. I mean, if you are if you don't want Luke Fickle to run up the score, don't make it to where these you know group of five teams have to run up the score to even get respect at all. If they hadn't beat this team with a score of 55, like – we're hearing about it and wondering why we tumbled out of the top 10. So yeah. you have, unfortunately you have to do this type of stuff because otherwise you're getting completely disrespected by, by the voters. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And then, you know, that drive continues. You see a Tyler Scott appearance. He's going to be daggone good for this Bearcat team in his career. And then you see one of the biggest projects on this entire team. It's going to be fantastic to see where Cam Jones ends up. The six foot eight, 280 pound, looking like about 300 pound tight end right now. <laughs> Caught that ball and looked like no one wanted to try and bring him down. He picks up the first down, Jerome Ford punches it in. All of a sudden, it's looking like all is well in Bearcat landed. This one can ride away into the horizon as a big time win. But instead, ECU responds with a long drive of their own, 13 plays. They score a touchdown. Aaron? This set up the play of the game. And every single – you ask any player on the team what their play of the game was. You ask Chad what his play of the game was on his bites. And it will be the next play that happened for the Bearcat offense. And that is a senior, special senior having his senior moment when Cameron Young bust through the line, broke, broke one tackle, had great blocks in front of him, and took it 75 yards for the touchdown score with 17 seconds remaining on the clock when that drive began. So I'm kind of looking at that myself as, oh gosh, this is going to be another nitpicky situation where people are going to try and break down this play and say, wow, you know, Cincinnati seems to be running up the clock again. Probably running up the score again. I disagree with that. And it was more to me where this entire senior class did not have a nip at night known to be the nip at night that it was, where they were able to 
have big time crowds there and and everyone cheering them on. You know, this is a special senior class, some that were in the last regiment with, you know, with Tommy Tuberville, another one that was with, you know, Luke Fickle, the first signees that he had. And this was one of the players, one of the special ones that came in in that class of 2017, where Desmond Ritter spoke about Cameron Young. He said, you know, Cam is a player that broke towards ACL in, in the beginning of his career. For a walk-on, that's, us- that's usually the end of the road. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then this is, and then this is, the, he, he said, Des said, before Cameron Young went onto the field, he pulled him aside and he said, this is your one last chance. This is your one last shot to try and go out there and, and put a stamp on your career with the Cincinnati Bearcats. Cam Young took that opportunity and he ran 75 yards with it for the score. I absolutely love them not kneeling in this situation. I absolutely love them handing the ball off to Cameron Young. Cameron Young using that as juice for something he will talk to his family, his grandchildren about for years to come. And it was just a, a, an exclamation point on a wild and crazy night, but just a fantastic exclama- exclamation point to a player that has been on the scout team his whole year, his, his whole career, endured an injury, stuck through it. And now he's able to say, hey, I, I bust off a 75-yard touchdown run. I was tied with Desmond Ritter as the leading rusher my senior night. How about that? <laughs> Did anyone put this to, like, the Titanic theme music or – Oh, we need it. The, uh, like, one magic moment – one shining moment yeah. or anything oh, like it. that. I mean, I, th- I think that would have been fantastic. Yeah, I, and I think that – I hate to say it because it, it probably won't happen, but – if, if things do trend towards that direction and, and people are allowed to have these special stories, I would love to have someone sit down Cameron Young and just talk about that story. Cause you know, you saw sauce Gardner, you saw James Hudson, you saw so many players go to Twitter and say, this was the play of the game. This was the best play of the year. This is my favorite moment in my college career was Cameron Young busting off a 75 yard touchdown run with your team up 49 to 17 and 17 seconds left on the clock. This is the epitome of a senior night. And and he only had like 12 yards on one other carry for the rest of his entire career. Against Austin Peay, right. And and I also hate to say it as well. You know, kudos, kudos. It it doesn't hurt to see 635 total yards and 55 points. Because no one's going to talk about that last touchdown when when it's the end of the season. People are going to talk about the 635 yards in that game and the 55 points put up. So I digress. But, Aaron, I'm going to run through the seniors real quick. I'm, I'm going to go as quickly as I can and just say how they it, – it's impossible to have this many seniors have an impact on a game. Blake Bamman, long snapper, numerous times out there. Curtis Brooks, four tackles coming back from injury. Marcus Brown, obviously there on every play in the middle of that defensive line. Kobe Bryant, three tackles with the interception. Jared Dokes, only 52 yards rushing, but he had a huge pancake block that put a big hog molly on his keister on a big Desmond Ritter run. You're talking Joel DeBlanco with that long 29-yard fake punt. Derek Forrest had two tackles, and he's had a decorated career. Darius Harper, obviously an anchor tackle. Jordan Jones had a team high 
well, a career high with the Bearcats, 56 yards on four catches. Darian Beavers had a total of nine tackles for the team high. We'll touch on Beavers a little bit here in a second as well. Bruno LaBelle injured, but he was still on the sidelines celebrating. Elijah Ponder had one tackle before he got injured, but he his worth was well known. Roby was injured. James Smith did James Smith things. Ethan Tucky had that big sack. Jarrell White with the pick six and National Defensive Player of the Week. James Wiggins with an interception. Cameron Young with that 75-yard touchdown run. Aaron, these are all of the seniors. They all had a special moment in the game on Friday. That is something that does not happen. You're talking walk-ons. You're talking second and third stringers. Every single one of them had an impact in the game. Yeah, no, it was 1,000% exciting to see, you know, with it being senior night, with it, with there being no fans in the stands, with just everything that 2020 has thrown the nation at large, you know, I mean, it was definitely good to see, you know, seniors getting some normalcy, getting a senior night and, and getting all of them getting, you know, their own moment. It was, it was really, really good. And just kind of a feel good moment for what's become just a very exciting season to be a part of even at home. Yeah, it, it's been a fantastic season. 55-17 final score, 653 total yards to 293. Holding Holton Ehlers, who had, what, 535 yards passing last year, holding him to 87 passing yards, as we mentioned, Aaron. Just an overall fantastic showing by the Bearcats. But AP polls came out today, and Texas A&M gained points. Bearcats lost points. Aaron, whoa, what? I don't know what we have to do. I mean, I know that it was ECU. No one is trying to take away from Cincinnati the fact that it was ECU off by the second right. touchdown. Yeah. No, I I agree. And, I mean, it's just crazy that Texas A&M on the AP poll rose up 10 points. I, I'm not going to dwell on it too much because – you know, it's, it's just keep on winning, do what you can do, control what you can and go from there. Speaking of control what you can, let's take a look at the ACC, pardon me, the AAC. It was a Tulsa versus SMU game that was one that kind of has a huge indicator on the rest of the Bearcats season. SMU, if they went out, they're probably facing the Bearcats as a top 15 team in the AAC championship game if the Bearcats finish their business. Instead, Tulsa has a come-from-behind 28-24 victory. Tulsa is now ranked 25th in the country. Tulsa will now be more than likely ranked when the Bearcats head to Oklahoma at the end of the year. This was a wild game. Yeah, you know, Tulsa scored, I think it ended up being, what, the – I know it was the last three touchdowns of the game. Yeah. Um Actually, it was the last four touchdowns of the game. Um, yeah. And in between, SMU had had a field goal. Uh, it was it was more or less Tulsa's second half. Um, you know, they, they scored three of those four touchdowns in the second half there. Um, yeah. And that the fourth touchdown was scored in the uh, second quarter before uh, SMU finished the second quarter with a, a field goal. But, uh, yeah, you know, kind of going back to what Chad was saying last week, I think I would have liked to have seen an SMU 
you know, ranked at the end of the year yeah. rather than a Tulsa who may or may not be ranked, especially if we beat them the last game of the season. Right. And if we have to play Tulsa in the kind of like Memphis and us last week, last year, yeah. uh, where we had to play Memphis twice. Um, maybe that, maybe that doesn't look as good as SMU may have looked yeah. if they had beat Tulsa and we would have seen them in the conference championship. But again, regardless, all you can do is play the teams in front of you and, you know, it, at least somebody's going to be ranked. You know, it, it doesn't take away from – it wasn't like a big upset to where, you know, somebody's taking away a ranking and, and not going anywhere with it. So, I, This just makes me so mad that Tulsa didn't pull out that win at Oklahoma State to begin the season. If they win that game against Oklahoma State, Tulsa is now yeah. getting talked about, and they're getting a lot of love. Instead, people are saying, Tulsa, who is Tulsa? The Golden Hurricane, I the, the national perception of Tulsa is not fantastic. I mean, the, the smallest school in FBS, I you know, this is just it's crazy. But Tulsa is a good team. They've got a good defense. They've got possibly the best defender in Zayvon Collins in the entire conference. But this was this is a tough one and, and a tough punch on the chin for the Bearcats, I believe, because as you mentioned, if Tulsa wins out, Cincinnati will play Tulsa as a ranked opponent in that regular season game. And then Tulsa might be unranked heading into that championship game if, if everything works out. But either way, it was Tulsa's defense really strengthening in the second half. Shane Bichelle, not knowing what he was doing, throwing it straight to Zayvon Collins on that first down and 10. <laughs> and you and I both told everyone during Bearcats best best to hammer that one. And uh, sadly, whoever did, I was riding that wave with you and the hurricane really brought us back down to earth. Yeah, that one hurts. Um, you know, Ulysses Bentley still had himself a game. He went over 100 yards. Um, but even still, you know, that's not the traditional Shane Buchel game that you see out of him. Yeah, I agree. And Tulane also kind of hurt the Bearcats a bit with their big win against Army, kind of lessening the strength of Army in that one because the Bearcats do not play Tulane this year. Uh, Houston – and USF, Houston kind of just beat South Florida like a drum. I mean, Clayton Toon had himself a big-time game. But uh, that's another one of those – I don't really know if those two teams have much to do with the Bearcats from here on out. And then, of course, the big yeah, game. The Tulane game – I was just going to say the Tulane game upset me actually more than the Tulsa SMU game. Right. Uh, just, you know, with the Army having been one of those ranked teams that we had beat. Um, and South Florida, they, they, they still can't figure it out. They're still having quarterback issues. They can't figure out who they want in there. Sometimes it's Jordan McLeod. Sometimes it's not. They're, I don't know. They, they, they got some work to do down in Tampa. I agree. Completely agree. And then, of course, the UCF-Temple game. Two, my two takeaways from this is UCF is going to be a great game this upcoming weekend for the Bearcats. And second off, Temple is not very good. Aaron, am I am I on the right path? Temple is not very good at all. Yeah, yeah. Temple is Temple is certainly not very good. The Owls are 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 not not good. Temple's but, experiencing uh, kind of uh, what UC has gone through in the past, in that there's only so many times you can go to the well on coaching hires yeah. before you screw it up. <laughs> well, I mean, like, their their coaching situation has been bonkers. Yeah, I mean, what hired for what was it two days and then gone? 
hired a new coach. He wasn't there. Uh, it, the, the whole situation they have going on was crazy. But, I, I mean, Temple, uh, they had that one g- good game against Memphis where they were able to keep up offensively. Outside of that, it was kind of just they, – they have not impressed me at all. So – but, of course, that just means they'll give Cincinnati a lot to handle in a couple weeks out in Philadelphia because they always do. But either way, Central Florida will be that big game this weekend. And, Aaron, the main thing about this UCF game is that the national perception of the Golden Knights is so great. It's And this will be if the Bearcats are able to win – First off, just win. Second off, if they win pretty soundly, this will just truly raise everyone's thoughts on the Bearcats, even if they don't know anything about UCF heading into the game Saturday. Yeah, you know, I've seen the ESPN uh, FPI statistic where I think it's 60% UCF. I understand we're going to the bounce house where, you know, crazy things happen. Yep. But uh, I don't know. I mean, the national perception is that UC is still not getting any respect. And if that's not making bulletin board material super easy for Luke Fickle and, yep. and Marcus Freeman, then I don't know what is. Um, UCF certainly looks like you can score on them. I'm not afraid of being able to score on, on Central Florida, um, right. who are now just the Knights, not the Golden Knights. They, they got rid of the Golden a long time ago, bud. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> they, well, uh, they, they wanted to be Golden during <laughs> the uh, national championship run. <laughs> during the golden years i get it um, but yeah no uh dylan gabriel's gonna <laughs> dylan gabriel's gonna be dylan gabriel um yep. now that being said he they're going to try to make big plays he's going to try and have multiple 100 yard receivers yep. but if we're able to take take what we did against holton aylers and shut down a pass game the way that we did against smu against memphis yep. against ECU, and I know ECU is not somebody that you normally would be like, oh, they have a big offense. Holton Aylers is actually really good quarterback. Yep. But, you know, it's it's just they've they've piled up so many games now for them to be able to hang their hat on and be able to go back to the tape and say, look at what we did against this quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm not super scared of Dylan Gabriel. And if we're able to score on their defense, I don't think this is going to be a game where we hold a team to one touchdown, to be completely honest. Um, and I know that it opened up, uh, the, the books opened up even a coin flip. And now I, th- I believe Cincinnati, when we started recording anyway, was at three and a half. Um, I don't know. This, this game's going to be, it's going to be good. It's, yeah. it's certainly going to be good. Um, I think, I think it'll be entertaining as most UCF UC games have been over the last few years. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be one that we have to walk away. This is a must win. You like your yes. playoffs start right now. If they, if they didn't already start against Memphis, yeah. So, no, you, you have to win this game if you want to be considered for the CFP. And, 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 you know, my viewpoint of it is that there are a lot of things going on outside of the, just off the field for UCF. And it was kind of masked because they played Temple, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the week before they played Houston, you know. And, and so, so you kind of mask all of those, all the adversity they're going through with, you know, numerous players, you know, suspended numerous players that have decided to take the year off. Yeah. And, and so those are some big time distractions, but when you play a temple team, oh yeah, it, it can be something that, you know, okay, well, let's just go out there and let's score a quick 38 and, you know, let our defense get some, you know, make some big plays as well. And 
nationally, no one will, will really notice. But when you play a good team of Cincinnati's caliber and you are without the certain players that you're missing on the defensive side and, and you have all this turmoil and, and extracurricular conversations and storylines, it's really going to affect your team when you're going up against a veteran heavy Bearcat squad. So that's going to be something that we'll talk about all throughout the week. You know, Bearcat Journal will have that covered from I from A to Z, as they like to say. But Aaron, I'm excited for that game. I've had it circled since you know the off season. It's a, it's a chance for Marcus Freeman and the defense to really prove, hey, we are truly elite going up against an elite offense of the Central Florida Knights. But top ten around the country. This was the uh, po- po- postponed weekend. This was uh, the Coco really taking over this weekend and. Uh, you saw Alabama, LSU postponed, Ohio State, Maryland, Texas A&M, Tennessee. But those other top 10 teams, no one stumbled at all. And if anything, people really helped out their chances. Notre Dame, a big win at Boston College. And, of course, Florida looking fantastic against Arkansas. Uh, Miami with that come-from-behind win against Virginia Tech. And, then of course, Indiana beating Michigan State. But that, that sets up a big weekend. For this upcoming weekend, not only in, in the AAC with that Cincinnati game, but you're looking also at that big game for Indiana at Ohio State. And then, of course, if, if one of those other SEC teams can stumble a little bit, anything of that sort, there's, there's going to be some movement after this week, after not really any movement at all this past weekend. It still bothers me that we're getting ever closer to a team who has only played six games getting into the college football playoff, which yeah. to me is, it's a joke. It's, it's a joke to have only played six games. And when you take away that game against Indiana, when all of the other teams that you've played, I think have a total of like, it's, it's a terrible yeah. record. Right. I, I think right now, all of their teams on their schedule are like four wins. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about those Ohio state Buckeyes. It's, yeah. I understand 2020 is crazy and, and COVID's crazy, but what are we doing? <laughs> How about the week where the Big Ten was getting ready to start and Penn State jumped the Bearcats? I, I think Cincinnati was 3-0 at the time and maybe 4-0, and Penn State jumped the Bearcats without playing a game. And Penn State has thus gone on and had a fantastic year. They, they've looked great. Joke. Joking. But okay. still, it, it just really just shows you the, the bias towards just names, just big names. When it comes to the AP poll, I think the college football playoff committee hopefully breaks it down a little bit more than just seeing, hey, well, you know, IU had a big win against Penn State. Ooh, look at this. Wisconsin, you know, all oh, they just beat Michigan really well. Well, Penn State and Michigan are terrible this year. They are not good teams at terrible. all. So those are not good wins. I, I mean, it's it's like in the ACC, it, you know, yes, Notre Dame had a good win against Clemson. Absolutely great win. One of the best wins of the year. But you can't start to tell me that their wins against Syracuse and, and you know, Georgia Tech and, and those teams of the world are all of a sudden good wins, too, because it's Syracuse and Georgia Tech and, and they're in the ACC. I, you know, it's just the big name bias needs to move to the side. And it, I hope that the college football playoffs kind of has that different touch and different look when it comes to that. 
Well, I think the only way that you can truly ever get rid of the big name bias is to completely get rid of the preseason polls because the preseason polls are literally only just that. They are yeah. votes based on just the names. So until we get rid of the preseason polls, which is never going to happen because people like to see ranked teams play on ESPN and ABC, uh, until that happens, we're, we're still going to continue to run into this. You know, I, the main thing I'm excited for is, is it, I feel like we've kind of had the same storylines, the, the same talking points each week after these wins that the Bearcats have piled up. After this week, if they go to UCF and they, and they play really well and pull out a big win, those topics and those those talking points, they've got to take a next step up. Because right now the national media is kind of just looking at, at these wins that Cincinnati's piling on and not seeing like one to really write home about because yeah, now SMU has two losses. Uh, yeah, Memphis maybe isn't as good as we all thought they were in the beginning of the year. People are trying to, to find reasons not to validate these wins. I think a big win at UCF. Even if, if it's not going to be as tough of a game as the Knights have normally been able to give the Bearcats, it's going to be the, the barometer test where everyone all of a sudden takes a step back and says, wow, Cincinnati went to UCF and beat the Knights like this. So I think, I well, think next weekend, I'm, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I think honestly that's what happens when you have conferences cannibalizing. Like when right. you're not playing out of conference – everybody's going to lose unless you have one team that just wins out. Otherwise, yeah, you, yeah you're going to have teams that lose because they're all playing each other. Like that, there's only one team that can win all the games. So, yeah. so, so, so your stance is everybody is going to lose unless somebody wins. <laughs> it's a strong stance. I mean, it was kind of, John, <laughs> it, was, it was John Madness. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I, but no, well, what's I mean, going to happen here is everybody's going to lose unless somebody wins. And then if somebody wins, well, then not everybody's going to lose. Boom. Where'd that truck come from? <laughs> no, no. I mean, the team that you know, scores the most points is going to win. I'm talking about like Wisconsin, Indiana, <laughs> Ohio State. Like, you know, you're, when you have 10 games as opposed to, you know, five, yeah, you can't have everybody just going undefeated because people lose. Because teams have, to, teams have to play each other. And then there has to be a winner and a loser. Yeah. Yeah, I'm following you. If you had out of conference and not having all of your games interconference, yeah. I, it was Plus just very we played yogi. more games than – we played more games in the Big Ten and everybody else anyway. I mean, we're going to end just, up with like ten games. It was very Yogi Berra-esque of you. <laughs> 90% of the game is half metal. I want to hide under a rock. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, before you go to that rock, give me your, give me your Bearcats best bets. Well, we didn't even do game balls. Oh man! Or was well, I was I having was I having was I having internet issues? Oh man, I, I I rambled about the Cameron Young run, but that was a good time to have an internet issue because that that deserved a little extra pub. But uh, but yeah, well, I mean, game balls that's that's easy. Well, for me, it was Ritter on the offensive side oh. and and White on the defensive side. Okay, I'm going White defense, Cameron Young. On offense. Okay. I won't take it away from you, but I, I get it. I'm going to write a, a short novel about Cameron. I can't wait. The Walk On Who Walked Off. Oh, that's an excellent title. 
There we go. I like it. I like it. You should but, copyright that immediately. I'm trying. I'm trying. But a couple of uh, okay. Per, first off, I'm gonna say Bearcats best best. I'm hammering the Bearcats again. I I don't I mean, think the, Vegas the has been able to figure them out. Yeah. I don't think they, Vegas they, has been able won. to figure them out. I'm curious to see what the actual uh, points, what what the points end up being. Right. Because I think this game is very capable of going to like 70 points. Yeah. Easy. If not, if not, not for it's the winner. The, it's in the 60s. Yeah, it's 62 60s? right now. What I'm saying. I get open 61 and a half. It's up to 62. Here's my question. Okay, let, let's, let's, let's. Let's straight up here in this this segment. I'll put both of you on the spot. I'm right. going to ask Dave. I'm going to ask Dave the same thing. Thing Wednesday. How many touchdowns do you think Central Florida scores in this game? The most on this Cincinnati defense on the entire year in a two. game is two. You think if this game is going into the 70s, that UCS is going to score four, maybe five touchdowns against this Cincinnati defense? No, I think they get three. I think they get three, but I think Cincinnati's actually going to score pretty well against their defense. 50? I mean, I don't think that's – I think you're going to see a lot of offensive plays, and I think it's going to be because of how many snaps that you saw each team take. I yeah. think they're, both teams are going to play fast. I, I don't think UC plays fast. I don't know what good playing fast does for UC. I mean, I don't know. I I was encouraged by 55 against the ECU. Yeah, but if you play fast, but they didn't play fast against ECU, particularly. Right. They're efficient right now, which is how you get into the 40s and 50s like they've been doing. But they're not not rushing Mm -hmm. to the line of scrimmage. And there's no chance you're rushing to the line of scrimmage against UCF to give them more offensive plays. There was no 11-minute drive this week. There could have been if they wanted it to be. They didn't need an 11 minute drive this week. That was to break Houston's soul. Yeah. It broke my soul. <laughs> 60 yards in 11 minutes is, is, <laughs> it's too much for you to handle. Oh, crazy. my God. I think crazy. I three I'm with Aaron, though. I'm with Aaron. I think three touchdowns. Um, and and I, think that, I think as well that this is the first game, truly the first game, if you think about it, all season that the defense is really seeing, okay, yes, Memphis, we had to prove ourselves. Yes, you know, ECU did this against us last year. But I think this is the first game where the defense is really going to be tested because I do think that UCF puts up video game numbers no matter what. They've they've got fantastic targets. They've got big-time players. But I think that the offense is clicking to a point right now where they will be able to negate the explosiveness of UCF. I do think they score three touchdowns. I don't think the under hits. I think, you know, maybe they, maybe UCF gets to 27 points, but I just think, you know, with, with everything tied in all the, you know, barometer tests and, and I I tests and whatnot. I think this is one game where Marcus Freeman sits everyone down and he says, guys, this is the game. This is the game. I know we had this talk about, you know, Memphis and the talk about rectifying against ECU, but I think this is the game. This is this is the one game on the rest of the season schedule that 
you can circle and say, if we show out here, the rest of the nation is going to be talking about us. Do you think then that if, if say, Elijah can't go, that Malik Van is potentially the guy that makes a difference in this game? You know, I think that you might see uh, a resurrection of, of another player that we kind of didn't really touch on during senior night. And that, that was Michael Pitts. He, he walked out during senior, during the senior night um, celebration. He shook up with coach Luke Fickle and, and everything. He was in street clothes. Don't really know the story too much behind that. But I think if he is able to get back out on the field, him, Ethan Tucky, Malik Van, you know, I think what UCF does is they do a good job running the football as well. But I think if you are able to control it and, and able to get tackles for losses, which they and really just kind of put them on their heels, they will make mistakes. UCF will get penalties. They will they will hurt they themselves. Will yeah, they, they will hurt themselves. So I think that this is a game where, you know, you need a collective. It's, it's not going to be just Malik Van stepping up for the loss of Ponder. I think the, the collective of – it's going to be the depth that we talked about every single game, every single, you know, off season, the depth of the defensive line will really be put on display in this one. See, that's that, that I will take umbrage there though, because losing ponder puts that depth in peril. It does. Yeah. Because they have a wealth of guys on the inside. Right. Right. They don't have a wealth of guys yet on the outside. So if you are going to move Van to the other side where mm-hmm. Ponder was, yep. Now you don't have anybody behind Myje. I agree. Which, which, one of the reasons Myje has been so dangerous is because you've been able to keep him fresh by rotating Malik Van in there and not seeing uh, a huge drop off. And then, you know, if you don't get Pitts back, and Tucky is kind of your rush guy there. Um, I wonder if maybe you see them take a look at Curtis Brooks outside outside or if they take a look at Jabari Taylor outside Marcus Brown's body type is a nose tackle. Like in a, in a three, three, five, he's not going to go outside. Um, But I'm interested to see like how Marcus Freeman handles that. I'm also interested to see, he's not going to run that same three, three, five at them that they saw last year. There's going to be some wrinkles. Oh yeah. There's I mean, that's, no yeah, that's what Marcus does. He's not running it back. Uh, now that UCF already has a playbook on what they wanted to do last year with that defense. Um, but the depth, if Ponder is out and we don't know yet, the only thing I know to this point is they were not worried about an ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a knee injury, then you're either talking MCL or meniscus. It's going to depend on, was there a tear? Is it a sprain? You know, what yeah. level of damage? Cause apparently what happened was, is James Wiggins came down, uh, with all of his body weight on Ponder's knee. Yeah. Which I was told mm-hmm. they were, um, very, uh, thrilled that it wasn't an ACL given what had happened on the play. Um, so we love the depth, but, but if Ponder is out, man, that's, you know, it's interesting. We we've talked a lot about who's maybe the most irreplaceable person on that defense. 
And I think it's probably Pond. Like we're about to hope, maybe find out, but hopefully not. But right. you know, Maje, you had Malik right behind him. Yes. Um, you know, as much as Jarrell has been phenomenal, Tyvan Fawson has looked awesome when he's been on the field. Yeah, yeah. You know, Sauce would be very difficult to replace. Yeah. But you still have Kobe. You still have uh Arquan. You have mm-hmm. Shepard, you have Harris, like you Taj, have guys, yeah. Taj, you have guys that can fill in there that that like I what I worry about is like if you know if it's a everybody slides up a spot. I think Ethan Tucky has been awesome this year, but it has oh, been in more of a, a pass. Yeah. Passing down role. Which I think uh, would be why Michael Pitts coming back, hopefully is a, we'll what he was able to do against army. He looked yeah. great against army against the run. UCF throws these runs at you where they'll spread you out and then they'll run. I, so if, if Pitts is out there, his instincts are good, but I think you, you bring up Curtis Brooks and the fact that Luke Bickle, you know, when you ask Luke after the game about the loss of Ponder, the, the immediate name that he Cause brought that's up, what I do. I do that for the people. <laughs> his, people want his, answers. I ask the, questions. The immediate name that he brought up was not Malik Van. It was Curtis Brooks. Yeah. So, Yes, I think I think Brooks will be sliding over there. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they do do that, what they're going to do to to negate it. But I think what you've been able to see is that the secondary, the, the no fly zone, which the national media and the analytical people continue to absolutely gush over, they they allow you to figure it out in the front line, in the trenches, in that first and second level. Because they help you out so much. So as long as as long as teams aren't running all over you, right, right. That's, which is that's which was funny that we said that. Yeah, yeah. We help we hold Holton Aylers to eighty three yards, but yeah, they gained two hundred four yards on the ground. So we're we're not going to forget that one. It was great. It was great. But one of the stats that the telecast dropped was that one of the stats that the telecast dropped was that a uh, sauce had not been scored on. Uh, in coverage in his entire career. Yep. Yep. He scored two more touchdowns than going against him. Had two more touchdowns. Ama Sauce Gardner and should have had another pick against ECU. Mm-hmm. He dropped that one. CJ Johnson did a decent job turning into defender, but this UCF game will be huge. It'll be huge. But let's uh, let's let's quickly touch on. Football recruiting, not not too much this week, obviously, because last week was just so electric with, with all the commitments that came through. They did get Stephen Bird commitment, a, a running back. Aaron, I don't know if you've been able to see his highlights, but, man, he runs with steam. He's got some power behind his legs. He is already six foot two thirty. I I mean, he, he's a big back getting ready to be that, that kind of – Looks like in the Michael Warren mode, but three or four inches taller. I mean, you're looking at a, I was, a yeah, powerful back. I was certainly uh, excited to see that we were kind of going a little bit different direction than traditionally we have uh, under Luke Fickle in in Stephen Bird. Um, I have not watched any of his uh, his actual highlight film yet. Yeah. Um, but no, seeing a six foot back, uh, we we haven't had a guy like that that just a power back of that size right. 
So it should be interesting. Yeah, him him and Miles Montgomery, whose career came to an end at Fletcher High School, finished with over four thousand career rushing yards. He's kind of got got some lightning in him, so he's that, that's going to be an exciting one-two punch. But outside of that, it's really been a a very strange recent weeks for all of the commits as far as what they've been able to do on the field because a lot of these teams have either they you know you saw Ace Jarvin's career come to an end against Maslin Washington um, in in that big game, and then you saw numerous teams have they they've either had to forfeit or they've had their their games pushed back numerous weeks due to 2020 and the COVID situation. So not too much to talk about when it comes to those, you know, Shaman Matires still waiting to play his first game in the back-to-back weeks forfeit forfeit because of COVID. You know, Caleb Schmitz, his, his entire career came to an end because of COVID. Jack Dingle, the, the Kentucky state tournament has not been able to start because of COVID. So, you know, these are all situations that will hopefully come to a side and, and end soon. Omarion Smith is still going for River Rouge, but it's kind of a, a wait-and-see approach when it comes to all of these uh, teams finishing up their seasons. But the recruiting has been on fire. Not quite like what we were able to talk about with the Savage 7 last week, but still just absolutely on fire. Stephen Bird, the first in-state commit. He's going to be the trailblazer for the hometown heroes. A lot like Jarrell White has shown that you can be a hometown hero and be one, a brilliant one. Um, let's let's wrap up with basketball real quick, Aaron. The only true additional storyline that we pulled out out of this past week was the confirmation that the Bearcats will be heading down to Athens, Georgia to face Tom Crean and the Bulldogs on December 19th. And this will be a game. Obviously, it's good to see that game continuing to flow through and uh, become available as it was one that was kind of on the schedule before all this madness happened. So that trip down there, it's an SEC game. And we've seen the bias that comes behind that. It'll be a decent analytical game as well. If the Bearcats are able to pull out a win. I think we've lost Aaron. So, Chad, your thoughts? Um, I mean, that's what Tennessee and Georgia are ones that I've known all along that um, – both head coaches had contacted UC and let them know that they were still uh, interested in having UC come down. Right. Um, all contracts basically were wiped out yeah. for this thing, you know, so um, both of those games could have gone by the wayside, but both Tennessee and Georgia uh, were looking to get, you know, a quality home game on their schedule. Remember in the SEC, there's at least, you know, as it stands, there's going to be fans. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is not a similar situation uh, to to the situation you see is in, at least for the time being. Um, So, no, I mean, you know, it's anytime you can get on the road and take on an SEC team in basketball, it's it's good for your resume. Uh, And as we know, John is very, very analytical about that. Um, Very sad. I am getting to the point where I'm starting to be skeptical that we're going to have non-conference basketball. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think here's, you know, and I, I've seen in this plan was thrown around by an art in an article by Jeff Goodman. And we should be at this point. Um, I know why we're not. It's because, you know, there are some out of conference games that, are, that hold a lot of weight in college basketball. Yeah. that they're trying to uh, to salvage. 
but mm-hmm. we should be taking this entire time from Thanksgiving to March to figure out a way to get in as many conference games as possible. Yeah. Cause I, the testing protocols are the same. Um, you have flexibility that way. If yeah. you extend yourself and if you give yourself an extra of five weeks to make sure that you get your conference schedule played, uh, I think that's, you know, for me, I don't know what the answer is um, specifically, but the farther and farther this goes, the more and more I worry. I I just don't know like how non-conference really is going to work the way that the like where everything's at. It just it, it's I mean, so screwed up right now. I mean, you got to just look at it. It it is the whichever side you have when it comes to this topic and and politics aside whatnot but the numbers are rising cases are rising this is you know they they projected this second wave from the very get-go and it is happening it's coming to fruition and so like and they, you predict, said, they, they predicted it exactly when it was going to happen and yeah. it is happening exactly when they told you it was going to happen yes and, and, and the only thing that the NCAA has come out and said, and the only thing that they've really harped on and pounded on, is that there will be a national tournament. There will be an NCAA tournament. March Madness will happen. So that is truly the only thing on their mind. Because I hate to say it, yes, that's where the big-time money is as well. So that is going to be the main point of reference. They want to make sure that that happens. If that means giving the ability for teams to squeeze in 15, maybe 20 games in a season, if it is all conference, you know, it, it does seem like the loopholes are starting to become so thin to slide. Yeah. I, I think you can get to 25 conference games. Right. Do you think you're going to see more coaches come out like Rick Patino did, though, where they're saying that the whole thing should be shut down and pushed out to have May Madness instead? No, I don't think anybody really actually wants that. I mean, I, I know everybody knows. You know, look, here's the thing. When they say there's going to be an NCAA tournament, they'll play that thing in May or June if they have to. Yeah. Like, they're getting an NCAA tournament in because that's the only way the NCAA operates is on that tournament money from CBS and True Turn TV. So, so here's, here's true, the thing. True, true TV. So so here's the thing. You saw Ivy League cancel winter sports. Yeah. You you yeah, are now seeing part of spring. you are now seeing Vermont push back their the start of their winter sports until December 18th. December 18th. You you you're seeing these domino effects that's kind of bringing back to what we saw back in March. Now you're seeing football being able to be played, but it's open air for now. Yes. For now. Right. Yeah. People are saying that they're already talking about pushing back the college football playoffs, pushing back the bowl season, everything of that sort. So we had a million, a million new positive tests of cases in six days. In America. Yeah. It's, it's like, insane. I mean, it is insane. And it's, it's really starting to become a black eye on, you know, when all of this started originally, people were, were, were freaking out when there was, 50 new cases, you know, when there was, you know, 80 new cases, whatnot. Now you're talking about 8,000 new cases. You're talking about, you know, 
and just in the state of Indiana. I, I mean, it's it's running rampant. And obviously, I don't want to get political or or really savvy about any. It's of that. not like, political. It's a global fucking pandemic. Global pandemic. You know what? I, not like Sorry, political. Dan. I meant. I know. I know. I but meant just like to a lot of to a lot of people. It is political. <laughs> right. It's not political. I just meant like, like when I talk, like when my group chats are going off about these these things non sports, I will mute it and I will not talk because. I hate to say it, I am like sports, 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 and then I'm a loving human being, and I'll have fun talking about pop culture and whatnot. But aside from that, when it comes to all this stuff, I will let you guys go do the back and forth and everything of that sort. But it is starting to trend a direction that I don't like, where I'm starting yeah. to go out on a limb and say that the Crosstown shootout will maybe be the beginning of the season for the Bearcats, if that is even a possibility. I, I, I'm like starting to get to that point where, you know, that needs to be where the eyes need to start to trend to because it's, it's local. It's you're, you're taking away the, the different state regulations. You're taking away travel regulations and whatnot. Yeah. So I, I'm starting to think that could be the first game. You know what I'm starting to wonder? Yeah. I'm starting to wonder if like, if I'm going to be able to like talk my way into like a suite because Fifth third arena is going to be closed yeah. and all of us <laughs> media folks are going to have to be social distanced. So why don't they just give us each a suite? Yeah. Well, you and know, then we, we, we can work from our suite. You know, there's there's the seats there in the front. Yep. They've got the tables. Yep. Like, I, I think I could make, you know, I could make a case that, like, the best case scenario for us to work in a safe environment in Fifth Third Arena is to work from the suites. Skyline catered. I'm in. I mean, the catering stuff's not going to happen. But, um, <laughs> I, like, you got to – you got you, we got to – if we're gonna go this route, yeah. you gotta keep it keep it low profile and like maybe work a couple angles. But like I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for us, if not a suite, they have those like little boxes, yeah, uh, right by the Champions Club. Those are nice. Like where it's got a it's got its own TV a and a TV, table, yeah, yeah. Uh, a fridge, like yeah. you know, yeah, eh, eh. I don't think I, it's I mean, that I'll, far out of the out of the equation. I'll be there. Because count me our, in. Doesn't sound terrible. Our seats in the in the in the press section. I mean, they're not six feet apart. So, no and a couple of times, like on big plays, you'll like grab me and hold me. So I mean, shoot, we very we tight. Can't be doing that, you know. You get sandwiched between a me and B Fox like a bro hug. Yes, yes. I felt <laughs> it a couple of times. Felt it in my loins. Down in the oh. park. Those are those are those are. <laughs> Those are my loins, actually. Oh, Sorry. Ooh, Sorry about that. <laughs> this is turning into Brent, Chad, and Aaron after dark. I had to get it away from where we were headed. <laughs> but no, yeah. I So I am legitimately scared because where there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, I mean, the smoke is starting to rise. At numerous where there's places. smoke, there's Tulsa. Yeah, they don't want it, though. Where there's <laughs> they smoke, don't want it. There's, yeah, they don't. Where there's smoke, there's velvet. <laughs> Where there's smoke, there's velvet. You know the number. I mean, not until they spot no free, no free ads. Like they don't. I mean, they don't call. They're gonna call. I mean, but, the door's been open. I've tried to make that connection happen for a while. The ball was in their court. Aaron, Aaron, where's where's your piece? Where's your mind at as far as college basketball start time? What 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 the what what the what? I mean, the last time on Bearcat Journal that I spoke chicka, chicka, openly. Chicka. <laughs> about about COVID and what have you, uh, people hopped in my uh, 
my comments on my on my article for the rewind last week so um i don't know i mean i'm not trying to play it necessarily close to the vest but you know this stuff's scary and we all have you know elderly family that we're probably more worried about than ourselves like i mean i'm in my mid-30s um so i'm not terribly worried about this thing getting me but at the same time it's not off the table either so i don't know i mean this stuff's scary and I can't wait for it all to be over. But at the same time, you know, when we're talking about the basketball season starting, um, I don't know. I mean, there's more important. And I talked about this in my article. There's more important things that I feel like the administration has been considerate of, uh, you know, through football season that they very well, very well may take into consideration again with basketball and just trying to make sure that they're doing what's safest for the student athletes, as opposed to trying to get fans in the stands. So I don't think that that's even going to be something that we're discussing this season for basketball at all. And I know there's still people that are hopeful out there, same people that were hopeful about football fans getting in the stands. So I don't know. I mean, obviously we all want to see the season happen and I still makes me want to throw up the way that last season ended uh, without a March madness, without really knowing who won the conference, even though we walked away with the the hard work. Um, So I don't know. It's, it's weird. 2020 COVID. Ugh. Imagine this long layoff. If Trey Scott did not tip in that miss. Imagine <laughs> how much longer this would have felt. It would have been like the boards would have been just, oh man, thousands times worse than what they are. Everyone would have been just losing their minds. Luckily that, <laughs> luckily that tip in was good. Luckily they're coming off a win and, and, you know, Number one in the in the tournament, so they you know there's that talking behind it and that positive momentum, but uh, it's it's hard to really get too crazy about it right now. You know, I know everyone's yearning for coverage and whatnot, but I mean, what what can you talk about if there is no accessibility to what's going on? A of all, B of all, you don't know what's going on, and C of all, I'm not going to put together six hours of work previewing an opponent that is weeks away and you don't even know if it's going to happen. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be a, it's, it's an interesting situation. I, I'm very high on this team and I really, really hope that there's some way that some games are able to be played because I think that they can surprise a lot of people and, and be very good, but I, I'm not loving the way this is going. Aaron, he's very high on this team. I am. I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm smoking what they're packing. I'm loving it. I'm loving this <laughs> good thing there wasn't, yeah, good thing you didn't put a comma in that sentence. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. No, Aaron, I'm good. very hot. And now we're back, Honestly. now we're back, back to people wanting the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm taking us off the rails tonight. I don't care. We're already at an hour, over an hour and a half. So, yeah, well, we're getting ready to wrap it up. Hopefully things get figured out. But in the meantime, you have a top 10 football team to embrace one of the best teams in the country. And I, and and when I, when I watched that Notre Dame game last night, yesterday after, you know, afternoon, I probably did a bad thing in texting my group full of Notre Dame fans saying, I want the Irish bring me the Irish. Cause I'm, I'm confident about this team. So for now, enjoy what Luke fickle and the staff and the team is cooking because boy, oh boy, it does taste good. All predictions I'm seeing are saying uh, Georgia in the uh, Chick-fil-A bowl. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, better than than I saying that since he should play BYU in the in the New Year's Six Bowl. Man, I would hate that. I hate it. Georgia actually, I think, would be a Georgia would be a fun matchup. Their offense isn't very. I mean, their defense is I outstanding. Think, I think so. Yeah, I think but their offense great. isn't isn't very good. Like, no. good luck to them figuring out a way to move the ball on this Cincinnati defense. Especially I wish you well. A month, a month of prep, or you know, three weeks of prep for right. Freeman and them. But right. anything else, guys? Obviously, next next week's episode will be a lot about. Uh, Hopefully a, a, a huge statement win for uh, against the Knights. Either way, it's going to be a statement win for one of those teams. Somebody's got to win. Just thought <laughs> I'd throw some more Madden stuff in there for you. You're <laughs> That's welcome. Good. That was a good close. This is why they keep score. Somebody's got to win. <laughs> All right. Oh. Well, we went a little off the rails, but but we're we're back and we're going to wrap it up, Chad. Aren't we? Boom. He's on his back. <laughs> Boom. All right, that's it. Well, hey, for Aaron Smith, for Chad Brendel, this was yet again another Bearcat Bounce podcast, the BBP here on BCJ. Big game this week. We're going to talk about it all again next Sunday night. So have a great week, everyone. And, uh, hey, tune in. Keep it locked in.